We are Chinese people. Mm-hmm. We are experiencing actual, real persecution. I just came out of jail because I had a Bible. Yep. And we're doing a podcast about Christianity. Yep. We are totally 100% by by government standards in our country, China, we're totally screwing up. We're doing the 100% most drastic thing in the world. What do you want to tell the Chinese people? You've got the show. You're going, everyone, every Christian church in, in China is going to be able to hear what you have to say. You're experiencing enormous persecution. You've got 10 minutes. What is it that you're going to tell them? for today is Romans 13, 1 through 7. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Romans 13, 1-7. So when you hear this, where does your brain immediately go? You know, it's one of those things where you think, well, not my government, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't vote for them. Or, you know, you, you start to think, this doesn't, this doesn't mesh with, you know, God doesn't know who the president is right now. Like, that's how you start to think. Mm-hmm. But, like, the, like, you would say, no, see, God... I understand that you put some people in authority, but like this is this this guy's on the other team, right? Like you didn't put this guy in under authority. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so but this is telling a different story. This is saying, no, God put even this person under authority. And you need to accept that authority 
even still. Right. Even so though you disagree with who they are. Yeah. So that's kind of where my brain also goes right away. Okay. Is to this macro federal government uh, constitutional debates. Okay. Of well, hey, if uh, if the Democrats are in charge and they make and they pass a new thing, take your licks. And uh, you know, you showed me an interesting clip from Mark Driscoll when he was interviewing with uh, Stephen Crowder. Oh yeah. We can we can play that and uh, we can discuss that for a second now. And. We're trying to uh, emulate perfection, which obviously is seen in, in Christ. And here's kind of something, too, speaking of that, trying to emulate uh, Christ. We're at a point right now where we did an Ash Wednesday. Uh, Audio Wade was there for this. Um, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to submit ourselves to the authority, the law of the land. Yeah, I'm but so then sick of hearing Romans 13. Okay, all right. So you, so I was going to oh, say, yeah. well, what point does that I mean, cross yeah, over to PTSD. civil disobedience? I'll get a nervous you, eye twitch with Romans 13. That's just because you played football with a leather helmet. Yeah, well, so <laughs> everybody goes to Romans 13, obey the governing authorities. And I'm in the book of Romans right now, so I'll, I'll get there eventually. But there are also an incredibly overwhelming number of examples of civil disobedience in the Bible. Right. In the book of Acts, they're told, no more preaching or we're going to beat you and arrest you. They said, well, then beat us and arrest us. In the days of Moses, you know, it's like, hey, we need to kill all these babies. And they're like, we're not killing the babies. In the days of Daniel, right. dudes are told, hey, you need to bow down and, you know, worship the new religious emperors. I mean, ancient Babylon was basically North Korea. Right. They have a big statue in North Korea, and everybody bows down and worships the dictator. That basically was Babylon. And God's people were like, not going to do it. Well, then you can't pray. Not going to do it. And so For God's people, George Bush Sr., not yeah, going to do not, it. Not going to do it. Not going to worship that. <laughs> not going to worship that owl statue. Not going to do it. Yeah. So there's civil disobedience through the whole Bible. And, right. and this includes, um, I mean, the argument could strongly be made that Jesus Christ did some things that were in defiance of Roman government. And they would say, Caesar is Lord. And he's like, actually, I checked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not. <laughs> I, I know his Let boss. Let me check my bibliography go, gotta from go up dad. Got to go up the org chart, you know. Um, and so within that, you know, Christians overlook the opportunity of civil disobedience. And, right. you know, if you are guaranteed freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly and petition and protest, it's like, and you're not allowed to meet. I mean, right now they're saying one in five churches in America, 20%, are at risk of... All right, that's the part I wanted to hear. Sure. I just, I just I mean, wanted, I wanted to recall what he has said, uh, yep. because I remember he said, I'm sick of hearing Romans 13. And yep. I was like, whoa, come on, Mark. But uh, yeah, so I wanted to go back and see. See, what he said was totally cool to me. Because yeah, what I, I agree. Because, because what why? He, he was saying, Romans 13 is still true. However, mm-hmm. where it stops is anywhere where it's in conflict of what we're called to do as Christians. And, and in a country like ours, whenever the governing officials are telling us to do something that is you know, unconstitutional by our own standards. It seems like in a country like ours, we can sort of buck the system because that is our system. 
our system is we the people. We are governed by a constitution. And when your leaders are breaking the constitution, it, it's part of our government that we're allowed to sort of have civil disobedience against that. Uh, in addition to that, and even superseding that, is anything the that we are to do as Christians, if the government's telling us the opposite of that, well, we are under a higher authority to God. And uh, so I think that it's important that whenever the Bible and the laws of a country are in accordance or they don't conflict, then you follow the laws of the government. Anywhere they're in direct conflict, you have to honor God first. So I think that's I think that's what he was saying. And I think I think he was accurate in saying that. Yeah, it's um it's a it's uh everybody is working at in their mind, they're working at the top level. And it's it's fascinating that we all kind of so badly want to speak about like who's president and what's happening in Congress. Um, but what I've noticed, you know, maybe about four or five years ago, I used to be very like politics was my number one thing I was always thinking about and talking about and interested in. And about four or five years ago, I kind of realized, you know what, this is, this isn't really profiting me or the people around me. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually affect things at the, at the level that I'm focusing. Yeah. Um, but when I read this and I think about, okay, who are my authorities? Well, my authorities are the police. My okay. authority is my boss at work. Mm-hmm. Like who is the, who, what do I actually, what are the authorities that I actually encounter in my life? So anybody who would read this and say, okay, well, that means we can't um, protest something that is a new law or something that's unjust or something that's being, you know, violating the constitution. To me, any Christian who would extrapolate from this passage that says, okay, well, we just have to take whatever happens, happens is really being kind of lazy in their analysis because, you know, we have a law and if those are being changed or trampled on or changed, yeah, we're, we're the ones, I mean, it's always the people who elect or put in, uh, the, the system. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, almost all missionaries who go to countries where it's illegal are smuggling in Bibles. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, doing what we know uh, or feel compelled to do in spite of what a man-made structure has deemed appropriate or wants to control, mm-hmm. we've, you know, I mean, Christians have always been somewhat subversive in, uh, because oftentimes people who are in authority feel threatened by, you know, Christianity or God and, you know, a standard that is separate from the one that they're creating. Yeah. Uh, so it's perfectly reasonable for us to continue to promote, uh, our faith, whether or not the government thinks it's okay, but 
if you're speeding, you know, when I was, uh, like, I don't know, probably 22, I moved to Alabama mm-hmm. and I just drove very irresponsibly back then. I used to drive as fast as I could make the car go every time I went everywhere. It was more like a go-kart sport when I got behind the wheel when I was younger. Yeah. And the consequence of that was I got a whole bunch of tickets all the time I was getting pulled over. And um, then I also wasn't responsible enough to pay for the tickets because, well, they're expensive. I didn't have any money and it was always my lowest priority. And so I would end up racking up all these uh, violations. So if I got pulled over, it was a big problem. And um, I remember I had like, I don't know, eight or nine of them in like several different counties And I knew I was going to have to take care of them at some point. So I saved up a bunch of money and I had already moved out of Alabama, but I drove back to Alabama to take care of it. And as soon as I paid the first one, they arrested me on the spot because they're like, where have you been? You were supposed to pay this like a year and a half ago. You didn't. Oh, and by the way, there's three other counties that you're wanted in. So they arrested me. And transported me to another county. And then once I went before a judge and negotiated and paid those, they didn't let me go. They put me in jail till I waited for the police to come from another county and pick me up there and transport me to the next one. And I went to four different counties and it cost me almost $3,000 <laughs> of just the fines. Wow. And... um. Yeah, I spent the day in three different jails. And uh, it actually changed my driving habits. Yeah. I'm a very different driver in general after that event than I was before that event. Because it was severe enough and scary enough that I was like, well, this is not worth it. It's not like I was impressing anyone anyway. It was just my own... I was just a little bit wild. Um, But I also remember back then despising the police. I hated the police. I used to say it. I used to brag about it. I used to think that was a fun attribute about me. I just hate the police. I'm doing my own thing and they're just always a problem. And um, yeah, I will, I can look back at that and say, actually, that was a very good thing to go through. Yeah. Because changing the way I drove has only benefited me. And if I had driven more responsibly, like I knew I technically should have, it would have never been a problem. Even if I had paid my tickets on time, it wouldn't have been a problem. I compounded it until I got myself into a rut. And it's like, yeah, you should be afraid of the authorities if you're doing what's wrong. Like that's just common sense. And, um, Sometimes I think that as a Christian, I've thought about my Christian life as only this kind of extra, like, I understand the truth and I'm living for eternity. And so this world doesn't matter. And what I get from this, as far as a main point, is Paul's like, look, you're still a member of society. People can see you and people are looking at you. By the way, God is in control. 
So everybody that is that has this power over you didn't accidentally get there. Yeah. God knew what he was doing and he allowed it and he appointed it. And so live right. And then to take that and say, well, we can't protest uh, the, the federal government is it's like, well, no, sometimes you doing what's right might cost you. But in that case, you're paying for it. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a worthwhile exchange. Yeah. It seems like it's almost two totally different topics to me. Yeah. Do you think it's interesting that it says that God puts all people in authority in their place? Um, yeah, like you think, okay, so did he put Hitler in his place? Like, yeah. I mean, he was in authority at one point. Yeah. He was a dictator who took over the government. Uh, did he put, you know, Paul Pot and, you know, that if that is odd. Um, and I mean, this is, <laughs> this is Paul writing to Rome and, you know, who's eventually going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like he was working too hard to keep on their good side. And it was, I mean, this is at the same time that Jesus has died, uh, at the hands of the Roman government. This is, uh, you know, eventually all of these people are getting martyred by the the Roman government. So it's not as if Paul was writing to a people who had a nicer government than we do today. Right. And uh, it's just very interesting to me. Well, both of the examples found themselves on the wrong side of the authorities and the authorities killed them. Yeah. But in both examples, they were doing what was right. In and the so, eyes of God. Yeah. And so we don't live to please, you know, the ultimate government. That's not, that's not who we serve. But when it comes to authorities, for the most part, the authorities we're going to encounter are going to be our parents, our boss, the police, mm -hmm. you know, like these are the people who are in charge on a daily basis, our landlord, you know, the tax collect, the IRS, like, this is the kind of things that we're encountering. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, don't, don't be a bad citizen. It's not a good testimony and it's not going to go well for you. And all this stuff, yeah, it's in, it's in God's, God's hands. So if you're in Germany and Hitler's the president, it's like, yeah, obviously God allowed that because it didn't just, it's not like God turned his back for a minute and then was like, oh, whoops. Yeah. Like, obviously he allowed this to happen. And if you're a citizen of Germany, no, the ones who were willing to hide the Jews and the ones who were willing to help were recognizing the value of humanity over this racist concept that the government was shoving. Yeah. And so they were doing what was right, even though they were disobeying because they were putting God's standard and God's law first. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when they're driving to the grocery store, maybe don't drive like Dave, uh, drive normal yeah. because, uh, the, that police who's in charge of just servicing that street is still your authority. And he was still put there and he's got the power to throw you in jail, to find you, to make things on your life very bad. Yep. yep. So yeah, I think you really nailed it when you said it's really like 
if there's no direct conflict, then the question is, are you going to be a good citizen or a bad citizen? As, as bad as the government was in Jesus's day, Jesus refused to be a revolutionary. Yeah. And that was why they called for when Pilate said, all right, look, we always let someone go on Passover. We give somebody just, our tradition is to give somebody a free pass, even though they don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. So why don't we do that to Jesus? He doesn't seem like that bad of a guy. Yeah. And he thought, well, I'll give him a, basically a false op option. I'll, I'll put a really, really bad guy. And so the crowd's obviously not going to want Barabbas free. Yeah. They're you know, so I'm going to give them a very obvious choice and much to Pilate's surprise, everybody picked Barabbas. Yep. And it was like, because Barabbas was a revolutionary. Barabbas hated Rome. Barabbas was a fighter and somebody who wanted to change things. Yeah. And Jesus, who was a revolutionary because he was bringing um, the kingdom of God into our midst mm -hmm. had no interest in taking on Rome. Yeah. And even if Rome wants to kill him, say la vie. Yep. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? You know, it's, it hasn't been in my lifetime. It's been rare that our government has come in conflict at all with the church. And just recently in this last year, I, this concept has really come to play with the, the mask mandates and the uh, asking churches to not meet. And you had a lot of things happening. The president's allowing it. Governors aren't. You know, we have tough restrictions. You know, like how can you meet? And then we have the the Constitution of the United States of America saying that there should be, you know, the right to assemble. Um, and all of this put together, you know, it's a very wild legal system. Um, as Christians, it's a really interesting study. Like, what, what should church do? What should a church do in light of all of this? And, you know, I think a lot of churches had to make really tough decisions. I imagine that if I was a pastor, it's you would want to say, all right, we're just going to meet. But at the same time, you have some of the people in your church, you know, might be at high risk, could could die as a result of that if they, you know, if they came now, I, obviously they could, they could refrain com from coming, but, uh, but it's, it's an interesting situation. So do you say, all right, well, the governing authorities are asking us not to meet. Was it, was it proper for churches to, to obey that? Or should they have gone ahead and keep meeting? It, it's a really wild situation in my mind. I've struggled with that over the last year in deciding what I would have done in light of the decision. I was thankful that I didn't have to make the decision. Yeah. Uh, it seems like we're, this is a hobby. And I think that the world 
for the most part, sees church as a bit of a hobby. Hmm. And it's like, because I think we kind of treat it that way. And so I, I, um, I don't know. There are some people who are inspiring and that's who I want to associate with. Yeah. So when I think about it, I think about, we have churches in persecuted countries like China and, uh, parts of, uh, Russia and, uh, during hard communism and you have this situation where you have people who are Christians and they want to meet and different countries ways. Uh, some of the countries, they just, they weren't hard. They didn't just flat out say, no, you're not allowed to meet. Um, the countries where they did say, you're just not allowed to meet, the church thrived. The church absolutely thrived. I would like to see Christians today standing up for what they believe and recognizing that the church, you know, the community of people, not the building, it is the mechanism that that God is God is blessing. And so that's what we need to be uh, promoting. We need to be encouraging. I want to be a just an absolute cheerleader for that movement. The United States is such a unique place that was really fun. the foundation is on Christianity. So we've been able to experience freedom of religion and be able to exercise their freedom in a free country. But you can see that slowly eroding. And it's difficult because it's like, how do you distinguish what is Romans 13 things where we should obey the authorities and should we meet? And I think a lot of pastors, a lot of elders boards really struggled this last year with distinguishing the right way to handle this situation. I think a lot of churches made mistakes. I think a lot of churches on both directions. I think I think there was a lot of mistakes made, but I'd like to see people come out after this last year and say, okay, this is how we're going to handle this sort of thing going forward. We are a community of believers and we are going to meet regardless, regardless of the situation. You know, well, our doors will be open regardless of the situation. Well, if people for, come, they come. Yeah, but it's like it's not compelled. It's like that's why I don't understand. Like we're gonna meet. It's like well, the leadership doesn't even get to decide if we meet. The people decide to come or not. It's a hundred individual decision decisions. Well, and so let's let's the take leadership it even is being. The leadership is being too cocky to think that they're the one who makes the decision if all the congregation should meet or not. It's like you could, you shouldn't be able to, if you're in leadership of a church and you make that decision on behalf of everybody, whether or not your group can meet with each other, you don't belong in leadership. Hmm. Well, I mean, I would argue that the Bible puts that leadership in place as well. So I would agree too to shepherd the flock. And if you say, Hey, we're not, I'm not going to be here anymore because I don't think the flock should get together. 
well, then you, your church isn't your thing. They not virtual services. They offer virtual services. Sure. Okay. Well, I, and I'm taking it a bit further. Forget the doors. I want to see the Christians meeting. Yeah. I, I want like I'm not talking about the church. You should look for a church where there is leadership that is standing up and standing for something, and then stand with them. Because uh, it does, there will be a day coming. And I don't know if it's going to be soon or if it's going to be 10, 20 years down the road. But it's going to happen that something like this, where there is the Christian faith and the government, and they're going to be at odds with each other. And people are going to have to make a choice because the choice will be forced on them. Mm -hmm. And the best way to avoid that or push it down the road is to be a people who live from their convictions and won't be moved. And I don't know how to encourage that positively, but I just see so many Christians with so much energy and so much desire, so much fight in them. And I say, well, don't go on your own. Don't be a Facebook warrior. Don't fight the individuals that you're running across who, who is either going to see Jesus in you or not. Mm -hmm. But find your other, your Christian family and figure out who are the ones who are doing what's right and are, and are living and acting in such a way that is inspiring and join them and invite all your friends to join you and live in a way that is got a little risk in it. You know, you might, you might get arrested. You might, you might get in trouble. Uh, but ultimately that's an exciting life. I'd, I'd be, I'd be totally down for it. I went to church as soon as they opened <laughs> the very first time I found out that they were open. And in California, it was like, I don't know, three weeks ago. Yeah. I want to see what's happening in China where people are so thirsty for Christ and so hungry for fellowship with fellow believers that they're willing to meet in their houses regardless if the church is meeting. We are Chinese people. Mm -hmm. We are experiencing actual, real persecution. I just came out of jail. Because I had a Bible. Yep. And we're doing a podcast about Christianity. Yep. We are totally 100% by, by government standards in our country, China, we're totally screwing up. We're doing the 100% most drastic thing in the world. What do you want to tell the Chinese people? You've got this show. You're going, everyone, every Christian church in, in China is going to be able to hear what you have to say. You're experiencing enormous persecution. You've got 10 minutes. What is it that you're going to tell them? 
Is there a positive message for you? There, and the answer is yes. There is a positive message. Interesting. I don't. I don't know what it is. I would be talking about heaven. <laughs> I would be well tending to talk about how we live for that place. Yeah, but how, you know, what good is that for you now? You're the kind of person that wants. You want. You want. It talking to you right now. You don't want to hear about the the. It, it, that's like talking about the difference between the uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. Talk to me. Talk to me right now. Give me a give me something that I can tomorrow. I can wake up and I can say, "Damn right, that guy really gave me a pep talk." And I feel like today. I can live for eternity because what he said to me right now. Hmm. Rush Limbaugh, I've told you this before, is really good at this. When he takes you in a position, and this is totally different, but politically, when there's politically no hope... In the world, Mm -hmm. Rush Limbaugh gives 25 million people hope. Mm -hmm. And he's so good at it. He's he's positive. He's like, he's given, he's just given you a pep talk. And you come away and you feel like he's right. I'm on his side, which means I'm right. And going forward... We're, we're in business. I would tell the story of you. If I was the one on the microphone and I'm doing a show to China where everybody's persecuted, but all the underground churches are listening to my words. The reason why it's difficult for me to think of it quickly is because I don't have a testimony to share And so it's hard for me to tell them what they should do, given that I don't have that experience or shared understanding. But what I would do is I would take you who was out of jail and I would tell your story and I would find other people and I would tell the story of other people and the price that they paid. And I would, and I would show the fruit of their life as evidenced by their actions and the consequence of their actions. I mean, And I would say, this needs to be all of us. You know, they can't stop. They can't, they can't get us all kind of thing. And it's like there, your brothers and sisters are being robbed by the government. And they are, this is being, they are blind to this message because of these rules. And so we have got to take that seriously And even if it costs us everything in this life, the payment for that is tiny in the scope of eternity. Get one other person in the boat. And then I would use examples of people who had paid high costs because that would inspire. When I hear you went to jail because you got caught with a Bible and you just now got let out. And I know all the horrible things that happened to you in jail. And I know how, um, you know, that you were separated from your family. 
But while you were in jail, you led this person to the Lord. And we followed that person. And that person started their own home church over in this town. And there's 400 believers meeting in that basement now because you went to jail. And that person is now back in jail, only he's back in jail for something good instead of something bad. And, you know, you could tell the stories of people who are persevering in spite of the problems. And that's what I would do. I wouldn't have anything from myself as a collective rah, rah, what we need to do better necessarily. I think. There it is. You're right. That, that everyone would listen to. Everyone wants to hear that. I think I got it. I mean, you did a really good job with saying the China example because you really did stump me. And I thought myself, man, maybe I just don't have a message. So all I can do is criticize. And I think that's actually kind of right. I have never done anything positive. I have never stood up for my faith. I've never had to assert myself or feel like I'm being a Christian at my own expense. Or at least point them in the direction of what right would look like. Yeah. And then I think to myself, well, who's doing it right now? And I go, well, we don't have any real overt difficulties. And it just seems like at the very, very hint of any kind of a headwind, we all fold in fear. And so it's like, well, there are, I'm sure there are some, I know there are churches that are incurring fines and stuff like that, but I haven't taken it on myself to do the research and figure out what is it that they're doing? What is it that they're saying? Mm -hmm. Maybe I should. Because in some sense, it, this highlights that I don't really know what the right answer is. All I have is the frustration, and then I can call out, well, that sucks. But you're right. That's not a very good show. Um, so let's say, what's, what do we stand for, not to what do we stand against? I totally yes, that. Yes. That's, that's, that would be a great way of saying it. What do we stand for, not what do we stand against? 